Hello, and welcome to the Double Take Podcast with your hosts, Kirk and Kevin Weber. This is the show for fans of sports, music, and popular culture. In this episode, we'll discuss the World Series, college basketball, Star Wars comics, we put Kevin on the spot, and some APA baseball. Please join us on Double Take. All right, well, welcome to uh, another episode of Double Take. Uh, This is Kirk Weber with Kevin Weber, and um, we're here this weekend as the World Series is uh, going on, and we have, it's getting exciting now. It's tied up 2-2. I've definitely been rooting for Washington, but I kind of was rooting a little bit for Houston to make it interesting, and they have delivered. Uh, Last night's game was an 8-1 easy victory really i think for houston they jumped out to an early lead you know two runs in the first inning and then of course they got that huge grand slam um from uh bregman and you know five ribbies and so forth and now i think we saw that some of the weaknesses of washington were their their uh third and fourth starting pitchers and their bullpen i um i'm curious to know what your thoughts are kevin well, I was afraid that their bullpen would uh, rear its head at one point or another in the playoffs, and it certainly did. Um, you know, they were struggling early on, and they had to go early, and um, it definitely bit them in the rear end for sure. Um, and, I, and I also think that we talked about, you know, the pressure of playing at home. Uh, it seems like the Nationals are um, pressing. You know, they're pressing. When you're on the road and you're just, you know, it's you against the world, which is what happens in, a, in any of these kind of series for the road team. I think that there's a little more, you know, it's a different kind of pressure and different kind of fight that they have. And you see that in, in the Astros. And their experience is certainly showing through as well. I mean, they're used to being in, in these situations. So uh, I'm certainly still rooting for the Nationals. But, I mean, you know, they're going to have to beat Garrett Cole. And they're going to have to be beat, you know, uh, Justin Verlander again, who both didn't perform particularly well last time out. So it'll be interesting. Um, you know, obviously when it's two two, whoever gets this victory this evening is uh, in the driver's seat. You know, I mean, there's a lot of pressure after that. Yeah, and the other thing that I think one, I think um, you don't have a very good bullpen when a guy that's pitched three games in the row is Fernando Rodney. Um, you know, he's like the oldest guy in the league. Um, he's getting ripped out there. Um, every game that he seems to be coming in now, I mean, I know he was in game two, but that's a problem. Like if that's your go-to guy, um, yes, you you have trouble. (laughs) Me, So, um, I think that that's kind of revealing, um, it, they really, as far as the nationals, I mean, the thing to keep an eye on is they've got to get good starting pitching and get, you know, keep it a low scoring game and, um, be not be down by a lot, you know, by the fifth or sixth inning. If they're not, it, it really yes. turns into and, the Astros. And Scherzer tonight has to be top notch Scherzer, you know, that he's capable of being that he's been for a long time. He has to be dominant and shut down the Astros. They cannot, again, let them jump ahead and, um, you know, 
get that confidence going. The crowd was great the last couple of games. They were great the whole game yesterday, even when they were when they were down by quite a bit. But Scherzer has to come out and be that Cy Young Award winner, potential future Hall of Famer kind of pitcher. Yeah. The other thing that I thought was problematic for the Nationals and I've seen this in the last two games. It's just they're not throwing a lot of strikes. I mean, Corbin walked two, Rainey walked two, Rodney walked three. Um, it, that's that's not going to work. There's a there's a lot of like leadoff walks, uh, getting behind hitters a lot, uh, and that was kind of a problem also with you know some of the earlier starts, even with Scherzer and stuff. So um, it's a great matchup. I think the next two games are great for baseball as far as the pitching matchups. But you want to see crisper, um, better, you know, pitching is really what you need to see. Yes. And as we mentioned, as we mentioned um, in a previous World Series review that we did, you know, the Astros, they don't strike out very much. So if you're walking people, they're going to be moving people around and they're going to get those what you might call cheap runs. But, you know, they're going to manufacture runs. They're going to get a ground ball and get a guy in. They're going to get a sacrifice fly. Um, they're going to make it so that, you know, you can't turn the double play and something happens and, you know, you know, people are left on base. They get those. They got a couple of those early uh, yesterday. And that makes a big difference. Every run matters in these games. So, but yeah, like you said, I mean, you know, tonight's yeah. pitching matchup is great again. I mean, just like we had with uh, Cole and Scherzer and then game six, no matter what's going on, it's going to be Strasburg and Verlander. And that's awesome again. So, you know, who, I don't know what we're going to have if there's a game seven. And I, and I do kind of hope there's a game seven. I really would like to see the Nationals win in a game seven. Uh, you know, more baseball, the better. So, Right. I tend to think that if it goes game seven, that's massively in Houston's favor because they, when they drop down to their next pitching, um, that's a problem where you have Grinky potentially in a game seven. I think that's advantage Houston. I would think that it would be Sanchez, don't you think, for Game 7 for the Nationals? I would think, yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously he's, he's done well this postseason, but he, he was, you know, he was subpar um, in his last start. Um, so, yeah, I definitely would that would be, you know, the Astros' advantage. But it's all it's all hands on deck, you know how it goes. So, right. I mean, I'm sure um, Scherzer, you know, will be ready to go. <laughs> okay, you know, because if it goes back – to um to Houston and Scherzer is pitching tonight and then he gets you know a couple days off he'll be ready to come in and and give whatever he needs in game seven so Sanchez might start but if he gets in any trouble I bet you Scherzer's in there (laughs) okay it also depends on how how long uh starters go you know they they can bounce back quicker if they didn't throw a lot so that's a good thing to keep an eye on as well so um yeah it should be fun we know we've got two more games so we're going at least six. So that's that's interesting. And we'll see uh, what happens in this pivotal game five yeah, tonight. It should be interesting. All right. Okay, so the new uh, college basketball uh, polls came out from the AP and uh, Michigan state is ranked number one in that new poll. And this is, I think the first time in school history that's happened. They've been number two, a number of times, but uh, many people thought after their final four run last year that they would 
probably be a preseason number one, and that's what we're looking at. What are your initial thoughts heading into this college basketball season? Well, I definitely think that it's much deserved uh, preseason number one ranking. Um, the Spartans, you know, made the Final Four last year and uh, returned several key players, uh, most notably Cassius Winston. Um, but of course, with that ranking was the fact that everybody was assuming Joshua Langford was going to be healthy. And as we learned last week, unfortunately, uh, Joshua has a problem again with the same foot that he had surgery on. So he's going to be out probably until at least January. could be longer. I mean, it'd be nice to think it'd be less, but that's about half the season. So, you know, Spartans always have some excellent recruits that uh, can step in, but somebody's going to have to do that. So, you know, when you take one of your starters out and the guy that can do a lot of different things, Langford is the kind of guy that's a great defender. Um, he rebounds well for guard. He's an excellent shooter. Um, he's one of the few real slashers that can create offense uh, with you know by himself uh, on the team. Um, that really it really hurts the Spartans. I mean, so if they would have known that before they voted, maybe they weren't number one. Maybe they're number five or something like that. And I agree with you. On the other hand, they did reach the final four and he wasn't playing. So I think they're thinking with Henry and Brown and some of the new freshmen coming in that. Um, and, and with the, you know, an All-American point guard, I think that, you know, there's still enough going on with that team to um, allow them to maybe be number one. I mean, of course, we're going to see early tests, you know. I mean, I know that their first game is in New York on the 5th against Kentucky, who's what, ranked number two in this poll. Um, and they're playing like uh, Seton Hall early on and uh, Virginia Tech and they're, you know, going to Maui um, over Thanksgiving. Uh, typical um, Izzo sorts of scheduling where he goes tough. And then, of course, the ACC uh, Big Ten Challenge, they play Duke. At least they get him at the Breslin Center. Uh, so they, you know, they're going to get tested. We'll see where they're at. Um, you know, the, the beauty of college basketball is losing a little bit early is not like the end of the world. It's a good way to test yourself. Um, it should be an exciting college basketball season. And if you're a Spartan fan like we are, um, hopefully it's one of those special years. I think that, uh, the thing that I'm worried about, and I know other Spartan fans are, is, you know, you get a lot of hype. Is it, are we going to see a delivery on this? You know, this is a team that people say could win the national title. Is it going to happen? Izzo has been to so many final fours. He's won one national title. He's been, you know, the best coach in our, uh, school's history, but man, it, it'd be great to see it happen. You know, I mean, we're waiting for it. Maybe you can go out riding in the sunset or yes, something. Yes, it, it certainly would be. Um, you know, when your star players are big men, I think sometimes that's more of a fluctuation on things. You don't know how, how you know, they don't have as much control of the game as you might like to think they do. But when your star is your point guard and he controls everything, I think it's more likely that you can have the kind of season you're dreaming of. So, um, you know, there's just a lot, there are question marks, especially with Langford now, but uh, there's a lot of great players coming back and the team, this team knows how to win. They won a couple of big 10 championships in a row. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I expect them to do well, but with Langford out, especially with the growing pains they are going to have to go through, they're probably going to drop one, at least one of these early season tough matchups uh, until they figure things out. Yeah. I mean, I do think there's some great leadership, especially with Xavier Tillman. I love that guy. Um, the other thing is that they're waiting to see if they can get a key piece with uh, the transfer from Marquette Hauser, right? Isn't that yes, uh, it was Hauser? Yes. Last... 
and you know whether or not he can have immediate eligibility. And this is a guy that Izzo compares to like an AJ Granger type player, you know, good shooter, but a big man, great passer. Um, he's the sort of guy that could uh, change everything for that team if you add him in the mix. So um, I'm I'm curious to see what happens. We should be hearing something any time. Well, I am, and if he comes, that would I be thought huge. On, I thought it was Friday or Thursday that the NCAA had denied the appeal, but Michigan State was um, going still going after it. They were appealing that or something. I don't know. I mean, it seems unlikely that he'll be eligible. They usually don't seem to allow that to happen. It's kind of so hit and miss. But if he were eligible, he's the kind of guy that can step in there for Langford. Um, you know, he's a little bit bigger, but he could definitely fill some of the void that um, that that they would have with him. And I hear he's a great pure shooter. And, and so, you know, you, you can't have enough shooters, you know. So, yeah, that would be that'd be great for them. All right. So soon we're starting with uh, college basketball. I'm sure we'll talk more about that in future episodes. And uh, if you have any comments on that, feel free to email us or, uh, or voicemail. And we'll uh, gladly include you in some way in our show. Okay, so it's my turn uh, to have Kevin on the spot. And um, I did get a little feedback on on the spot. And this one here might not really be playing into that, but um to help people like you know you did um the on the spot with uh who should be in the hall of fame or not and you know it's probably not that interesting when i'm going no yes no yes you know (laughs) that sort of thing (laughs) okay (laughs) yeah in the future i think our on the spots are gonna have to be um something where you we're kind of have a vague idea so we're a little more prepared um because you and i have a goal where we want to have a take that actually has some facts and something behind it right yeah um so so i'm just going to do a kind of a quick one here where i'm just asking you for one person if you have more than one this is great but there are a number of i've been listening to a book game six about game six of the 1975 world series great book by the way and they were talking about you know you know how many consecutive hall of famers you have in a row in a lineup you know like let's say you have you know, like, um, you know, Bench and Perez and all these guys in a row, you know, Joe Mor like it was Joe Morgan, um, Tony Perez, Johnny Bench, you know, that sort of thing. And of course it could be Pete Rose or something. So you're thinking of hall of famers on a team, right? And there's a lot of potential hall of famers that were in that 75 world series. And, you know, there'd be a hall of famer. We talk about that. You gotta have that longevity and the numbers and all that. But I, it made me think that there are certain guys that for a small period of time, for like three to five years, played like a Hall of Famer. They'll never be in the Hall of Fame. But at that moment, you may have thought, this guy's going to be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, he was that dominant, right? You know, like he had those Hall of Fame years. Um, so I'm, I'm, my question for you is like somebody like, and I was, we were talking about this a little bit yesterday, you know, Greg Luzinski for about a three-year period killed it, was awesome in the mid-1970s. Never going to be a Hall of Famer even though he hit, you know, about 400, almost 400 home runs and stuff. But um, he had some great years, right? There are some of those people that maybe it's based on injury or something 
they just were really dominant for a short period of time. Maybe it's a pitcher or something like that. So um, to put you on the spot, does are there any people that you think just for that period of time, they played like a Hall of Famer? Um, well, I can think of two off the top of my head. One actually, you know, maybe has a slight chance to be still be a Hall of Famer, and that's Don Mattingly, though I think his career is just a little bit short. But the one that I think everybody probably thought was a sure Hall of Famer for about five or six years was Fred Lynn. Um, you know, he, he's burst on rookie of the year, 331, you know, mm-hmm. 100 RBIs. Um, you know, in the World Series. I mean, he was an all-star several years in a row. Um, I'll look it up real quick here. He was all-star one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine years in a row. That sounds like a Hall of Famer. You know, hitting 300 several times. You know, won a batting title in 79, you know, 39 home runs, 122 RBIs. Um, Had another great year in 1980. And then, you know, the strike happens he was solid, and you know, once he went to the Angels, you know, in eighty one, eighty two, and then he was just kind of like a guy that hit twenty home runs and hit two seventy for the rest of his career for most of the years. He he never hit three hundred again after um after hitting two ninety nine and eighty two. He never hit three hundred again. So if he would have had some of those other big years, you know, maybe he's a Hall of Famer. But he ends up being a two eighty three career hitter with. Less than 2,000 hits because he had so many injuries the last part of his career and retired when he was 38. Um, and hit three, you know, only 306 home runs for an outfielder. That's not that many home runs when earlier you're hitting a whole bunch of them. So, but he's the kind of guy, how many, how many years did he hit 20 more home runs? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 times he hit 20 or more home runs in his career. I mean, a great player that most people would want on their team. And I bet you, and I didn't. I wasn't watching baseball that closely. I was just a little kid in in the mid to late seventies. But I bet you everybody thought, yeah, this guy's going to be a Hall of Famer, you know, up through about nineteen eighty. And he's not. He's never going to be a Hall of Famer. Right. You know, a guy that came to mind when you were talking there for me, kind of putting myself on the spot, Dwight Gooden. Oh yeah. There's mm-hmm. a guy that you know, rookie rookie year in eighty four. He goes seventeen and nine with a two point six zero ERA. The next year in eighty five. 24 and four with a one, five, three ERA. Right. Um, and then he won 17 games and 15 games and 18 games all the way through about 88, 89 had trouble. And, but he still won 19 games in 1990. And then after 1990, it's like a downward slide. And by, you know, he really doesn't have that down. He's not throwing a lot of innings. Um, you know, he does throw a few and, you know, like, you know, by the time he's 28, he pretty much has fizzled out where, most of the time, by 27 or 28, you see that kind of second phase for um, a Hall of Fame pitcher, and mm-hmm. he never hits that yep. stride, you know? Um, so he's a guy that kind of comes to mind, too. Like, he, at certain points, like, if you talk about Dwight Gooden in the mid to late 80s, well, he pitched like he's a like a Hall of Fame pitcher. Yes, he did. And along right? the same lines, Daryl Strawberry. Everybody probably thought he was going to be a Hall of Famer at that point. But we know both of them, the reason is because of their, their substance abuse problems um, is really what kept them down. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you have any other ones that came to mind? I mean, you know, you did a good job with your one, but um, did it, you know, like, I think it's an interesting topic that what I'd like to maybe explore later on with you is um, looking at those, you know, the, some of the best five year kind of Hall of Fame stints yes. that people yes. had that aren't Hall of Famers, you know, um, you, those runs that people have where, 
they were just awesome, but just not not a one year deal, but like a flash in the pan for like half a decade, that sort of thing. Yeah, I can't think of anybody right now off the top of my head that really you know, stands out more like a Fred Lynn. I mean, Fred Lynn was like that. I mean, that he, he was that guy, I'm sure. And, you know, injuries. I mean, to be a Hall of Famer, mm-hmm. you have to be healthy for an extended period of time and get enough games in to put up numbers and be productive. And um, he wasn't quite there. I mean, he was never really healthy, even pretty much his whole career. Even his rookie year, he's running into walls, getting hurt because he played hard. That's just what he did, you know. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think another guy to take a look at, and if you're just talking about, you know, straight up home runs, um, is Rocky Calavito. Mm-hmm. You know, from from like 58 to 62, he hit 41, 42, 35, 45, and 37 home runs. That, you know, he had over 100 RBIs. He was really killing it. And by the time he's you know, he's done after he's basically 32 years mm-hmm. old. You know, he doesn't really do anything at the by the end of the 60s. And I know some of it's also injuries and stuff too. But, you know, he was an all-star, um, you know, like, I don't know, five times or something like that. Um, and started off really strong, but then seemed to kind of fade off. So, I mean, you know, those sorts of guys. But I'm, I'm curious, like, and you know, and maybe that's just a just a really great player for a short period of time. I don't know. Well, another guy I kind of think of along those same lines who I, I saw most of his career was uh, Willie McGee. Um, you know, he won a couple of batting titles, um, you know, looked like he was, you know, he's a guy that got a lot of hits, but then, you know, you know, from, you know, he came up like, I think he came up like 82. I think he was a rookie on the 82 Cardinal team and was a contributor there, hit over 300 several times. But then, you know, and of course he had his substance abuse problems too. You know, once around 1990, once he hit about age 30, he was just a, uh, you know, okay. He was never really that great after that. And, um, you know, he didn't hit a lot of home runs. He was a good base dealer and a great outfielder and everything, but, uh, ended up not quite being a, a hall of famer, you know, but still probably right around a 300 career hitter, you know, for, you know, until, and he kind of just played sparingly until he was almost about 40, I think. So, yeah, that's a good example too. All right. Well, maybe we'll touch base on that at other times and just kind of these uh, guys that are not, they're not fringe Hall of Famers. They're just great stars for a flash yes. of time. Mm-hmm. Right. That kind of is the idea. So. All right. Well, that was an interesting segment. Good job. Um, and we'll, yes. and then it'll be your turn next week. All right. Well, Kevin, you just finished uh, APA tournament this weekend out by your uh, house uh, in the Grand Rapids area. Uh, and I think, in, you know, we had a couple updates on our Twitter page. Uh, you did well. Um, I see, you know, you won your first five games. Um, you got to the championship. Um, but, you know, there's always those ups and downs. What's your overall feeling after yesterday's uh, tournament? Well, it was certainly a success. I mean, I was eight and four on the day and, um, but you know, a little disappointing because, you know, I, 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 I'm the runner up again in another APA tournament and, um, things didn't really go my way in those, you know, the last two games. That's always the way it goes. Just like, uh, a momentum in actual baseball, you got to have the dice rolling in your favor and app baseball. But I started out well. I mean, my 1930 Giants knocked off the 1920 White Sox 9-4 first game. 
then beat the 67 Giants 8-2 in the second game. Then I had a close one with the 35 Yankees and won 3-2. Then I got all over the the 22 St. Louis Browns and beat them 11-6. I had like a nine-run second inning. And then um, I beat the um, 61 Tigers 9-4. And then I went to lunch, had a hamburger and stuff, came back. And, you know, I, I didn't have – my luck was gone. <laughs> so I faced the 27 Philadelphia A's uh, right after lunch and you know, game six of the seven that we played in, like, the round robin. And uh, I ended up losing 10-2, to two, which in, down the road ended up really costing me. Um, and then I just needed to win the next game um, to win the division and get a bye in the in the playoff round. And I faced the 39 Cardinals, ended up losing 2-1. to one. Just couldn't get anything going. Um, so I ended up like the number one wild card. And, um, so I had, uh, you know, it was one and done time. And in my first matchup, I, I faced like the 14 seed, the 69 twins and had, it was a weird game, but I ended up winning three to two. I got kind of lucky on that one. Then I faced the 50 tigers, which was being managed by a lady that had never really played Appa before, but she was doing quite well on the day and she couldn't roll any good numbers. And, um, and I beat her five to nothing. I just you know got enough. From there, I end up playing the fifty-two Indians, who beat me by one one run in the run differential for the division. So that eight-run loss I had really cost me uh, because if I was just lost like you know ten to five or something like that, or just you know seven to three or whatever, then I would have won the division. So I was matched up with him, and he has really good pitching there, all A pitchers, which are like aces. But uh, I got lucky on that one and won five to one and got myself into the championship round. And then I, I faced the uh, 1920 Chicago White Sox with you know a bunch of guys that will be banned from baseball, plus Babe Ruth when he was a pitcher and a hitter. Um, at first game, I couldn't get the bats going at all. No numbers were rolling for me. I lost six two. Um, gave up a. Uh, um, Swede Reesberg, I think is the shortstop that was one of the re- ringleaders for the White Sox. The number nine hitter hits his home run off of Smokey Joe Wood. Such a joke, but whatever. And then I needed to, it was best two out of three. So I needed to win the second game and I was up two one late in the game. And then, uh, and I'm getting tied by the White Sox. We went to extra innings and then, um, we went to the 10th and nobody scored. And then the 11th, the deal is, that. Uh, all the pitchers are just a D pitcher with no letters or anything. And if you know Apple, you'll know what I'm talking about. But anyway, it's the lowest pitcher. I couldn't get anything on the 11th. You know, he got a couple um, cheaper kind of hits, got a walk, and then I walked in the winning run and lost. So that's kind of how I ended. That's pretty, pretty downer way to end it. But anyway, you know, I had a good run. Yeah, and so. and it it's one of those things. Um, you go to these tournaments. Yeah, you like to win. But if things don't roll your way, um, then it just, you know, doesn't. So you want to play with a team that you had fun playing with and see where it goes. You want to play with a good team. But did you have fun playing with the 30 Giants? Yes, they're a fun team to play with. Um, I know you're going to be using them in a tournament in March and you're going to have a good time with them. Um, You know, they, they can hit. They can hit better than what I rolled for them, but they still hit well enough. Um, lesser teams, I would not have won eight games. <laughs> okay, let's just put it that way. All right. Um, but, uh, you know, you're facing other good teams too. So sometimes they, they, you know, they get some good numbers going on you too, and they score some runs. 
So it was Mel Ott was fun to play with at the top of the lineup. He had six home runs in the 12 games. <laughs> okay. I mean, I only hit 13 home runs total and he had six of them. So, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, good lead off, man. But my so. numbers weren't so good. I mean, this team should probably hit like 300 for a tournament and I hit 244. So it just, I didn't quite have the luck. I mean, I, I if I just would have, okay, you know, you're rolling, you roll average, below average or above average. I definitely rolled below average. If I would have rolled average, I would have won. But that's the way it goes. So still, I, I can't complain. I, I was right in it to the end. I kind of I kind of expected that. Um, so it was it was good. It was fun. It was a fun tournament, and you know, had a good time. All right. Well, that's all. That's really all that it, it comes down to. So well, and more on that as we go. And another update later on. You're in the World Series for your league. Um, and we'll kind of uh, see how that plays out and kind of update that in another segment. Well, once again, it's time for our comic book review. Last week we did uh, a Star Wars comic, and the same can be said for this week. I'm going to review part two of Journey to Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker Allegiance. Uh, this is a series of um, four books that are leading into the final movie in the trilogy, The Rise of Skywalker, coming out in uh, December. So Troubled Waters, the scroll on the first page reads, Supreme Leader Kylo Ren leads the evil First Order and hunting what little remains of the valiant resistance. Desperate for aid, General Leia Organa has taken Rey and Rose Tico to Mon Cala, where they seek the help of its inhabitants, the Quarren and the Mon Calmari. Meanwhile, Finn and Poe Dameron plan to raid a lost weapons depot from an abandoned Republic base. That ordinance could be the spark that reignites the flame of the rebellion. However, their efforts may be in vain as they're tracked by a trio of bounty hunters, one of which is a villainous shapeshifter. Arriving at Mon Cala's capital, Dock City, Leia and Rey hope to negotiate an alliance, adding Mon Calmari's ships to the Resistance Armada. Expecting to be welcomed with open arms, our heroes were shocked to be greeted at gunpoint by the city's amphibious inhabitants. So that is uh, some of the stuff that happens in the first book, and there's more detail. And, uh, and like I have said before, I try to avoid any potential spoilers, but just enough of a teaser to maybe get you to check it out. Um, so, yeah, we kind of shift back and forth, as, as the movies frequently do, uh, between our two worlds, um, with Poe and Finn doing their thing, trying to get weapons, and Princess Leia being the you know administrator kind of person that she is, trying to get some um, more allies on our side. Um, there's, you know, some danger that it, in, that uh, Princess Leia has to deal with, uh, along with Rose, um, and they got to fight a little bit of battles going on there uh, with the with the Kamari. And then the negotiations don't go as well as they had hoped. Um, and then we see um, Poe and Finn uh, have to deal with these bounty hunters, and some pretty good stuff going on there, and some um, you know good Star Wars type battle scenes that are depicted in the comic. And uh, they get themselves in a very tight situation that they have to try to get themselves out of. Then, um, later on in the book, we see that Kylo Ren shows up. And he is trying to um, hunt certain people down as well. Particularly, you know, our main characters. So, uh, another well-written book by um, um, 
Ethan Sachs, and it's the, the artist, one of the main artists on it is Luke Ross, and then uh, Lee uh, Lafferidge is the colorist, and they do a, a nice job with this book. Um, and like I said, the, the other movies had similar types of um, comic tie-ins. They kind of lead right up to the beginning of the movie. So this is number two. There'll be um, two more to go. I plan on doing little reviews of those and giving you um, a little insight in what they have to deal with. All right. Hopefully you like that. Um, if you have any other suggestions on potential comics we could take a look at, uh, we'd be willing to do that. Um, we're you know kind of comic book fans. We don't just look at Star Wars. We look at some other things too. So that's what I've got for the Star Wars comic review for this week. Well, thanks, Kevin. Um, good stuff. I, I know you've been kind of taking the, the main load on the reviews of comics, and I definitely want to jump in on this. Um, but since it's kind of a four-book series, um, it's probably good for us to start off with you taking a look at those. This time of year during the holidays, there's usually a lot of great books that will come out, so we'll have a good opportunity to look at some other material. But for the next couple issues of this, I look forward to hearing what you have to say about the next two books. That ends this episode. Thank you. Uh, Kevin and I appreciate you listening. And we hope that you continue to. And if you have any comments or feedback, please feel free to either uh, communicate to us through uh, Twitter or Facebook at DoubleTakeCast or email us at DoubleTakeFeedback at gmail.com. And we will definitely take it into consideration. Uh, until our next episode, take care. Double Take is recorded using Audacity and a hobbyist planned at Zencaster.com. We use Fifon USB microphones and distribute through Anchor.fm. Theme music, Funk in the Trunk, is by Shane Ivers at SilvermanSound.com. Please follow us on Twitter or Facebook at DoubleTakeCast or email us at DoubleTakeFeedback at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.